And we're back! Welcome 2018. It's that time of year again where we're going to welcome in a new Formula One season. This is the Hit the Apex podcast returning to um, ahead of the Australian Grand Prix. Um, I'm Juad, as always, joined by Baden. Now, before we get into things, how was your summer? Oh, as ever, just refreshing. It's hard to believe in... In all honesty, that we're back here as if we never were on a break, but a lot went down. There are a lot of good memories, but it's really nice to have this, I guess, as far as having a central pillar. We've both had our breakthroughs with work, moving on to bigger and better things, and that's given a lot of stability, I guess, from the personal side. But this is uh, through the year been... I guess, a, a central pillar for us. So to have it back into place, it's always good to, to be able to work e- this around each week. And now here we are with Melbourne suddenly before us once again. Yeah, suddenly before us, exactly. But to be honest, it did feel like it dragged on a little bit. Um, you know, it felt like I was in cryo-freeze for most of it and now just finally being thawed out and ready to go for another year of racing. We've had a few... Um, events on motorsport events on um in the build-up to the f1 of course we had supercars come back a couple of weeks ago moto gp we had a few endurance races as well so all those uh vibes starting to kick in but f1 is the granddaddy of them all so uh let's go over what we're going to discuss on this week's podcast of course we'll preview the australian grand prix for you but we'll go over some of the big stories that happened over the winter or our summer their winter um give us our views on things like uh liberty's uh launch launching f1 tv uh some of the headlines created by Carmen Jorda, of course, again, and uh, yeah, just other political matters, and then go on to some preseason testing. So without further ado, let's start off with some of the big stories that came over the preseason, and I guess the biggest thing that we were looking forward to at the end of last year was what were Williams going to do with their driver lineup? And in the end, it was confirmed, perhaps not the lineup that everyone had hoped for with Robert Kubica to partner Lance Stroll. We got Sergei Sorotkin instead. Um... Williams now with the youngest driver lineup on the grid, um, their youngest driver lineup that they've ever had in their 41, 42-year history. Um, so just some quick thoughts, I guess. What do we think? You know, Is it going to hamper them at all, the inexperience this year? Will they be able to show everyone up, Sorotkin in particular, who's going to have a lot of pressure and a lot of scrutiny on him? Oh, it just speaks volumes to where Williams is at on a financial level the despite their pedigree and that considerable backing they've had from most notably martini and we we know now subsequent to that announcement they'll be moving on at the conclusion of 2018 but williams needing that extra inject injection of cash from sergey sorotkin and his backers in russia there in, in tandem with lance stroll the, the huge backing that his dad brings through so for williams they've really elected to compromise on uh Kubitzer, of course we we don't uh have a certain outlook on what he could have bought but just the excitement was there and it really just was a letdown to think that someone with that kind of potential uh slipped through and williams obviously they've taken what many have perceived to be the easy option well you know Kubica, of course gets to stay with the team as their test and reserve driver for the season. So if anything does happen to either one of those two drivers, um, we hope not, 
for the sake of safety, but uh, Kubica will be the guy to jump in the car. But uh, going back to what I would have said um, at the end of last season in regards to Sorotkin, it seems like, you know, whilst, you know, we do encourage the uh, promotion of young drivers, up-and-coming drivers, uh, Sorotkin wasn't probably the first cab off the rank in my books as far as uh, being the next natural talent to make it into F1. So it'll be interesting to see how he fares, of course, that extra pressure that he'll have on um, to perform as well. Stroll uh, will be hoping for a more consistent season this time and you know who knows what they'll do with that paddy low design car which of course looks quite aggressive too copying a lot of those elements that ferrari had last year's side pods and all so we'll talk more about that in our pre-season testing wrap just coming up but um moving it on quickly liberty media made a lot of headlines over the off season of course the uh, new things that they've brought in the first thing was uh they're going to be launching f1 tv which is going to be the streaming service for f1 um in 2018 not available globally of course which was a bit of caused a bit of controversy especially in countries like australia and the uk to um, name one or two out of about 60 well, aren't well you know we really care about us here you know being the selfish people that we are um but yeah not available here in australia due to existing broadcast uh agreements and deals that they've got so We'll still have access to F1 TV Access, which is a more watered-down product, which won't have live streaming, of course, of the races, but we'll still have access content. of... We get access to the historical content, which the details are yet to be fully disclosed, and, of course, access to highlights, live timing, and all that sort of jazz as well. But for people who do get to access F1 TV Pro, which is the... Uh, um, the full streaming product. It's set to be ten to twelve US dollars a month, which rivals that of like Netflix and uh, what we got here, Stan as well. Um, they're not going to have streaming on devices apart. Well, they're going to have streaming on computer, but I think devices is coming later on. Like you won't be able to do Chromecast or Apple TV or you know Xbox or PlayStation just yet. But they're going to quickly implement that soon um in a few months time so it it's the answer that we've been hoping for to get as far as streaming in f1 is concerned so they've really made serious inroads with that even though they haven't made it available here but you know by the time it does come here which will be when the foxtel sky deal runs out um it should be one of the best uh, ott platforms in the world as far as uh, sports and streaming is concerned yeah, it's baby steps and probably not the worst thing that it's not a, a universal launch just yet. It allows time for them to iron out those bugs and we'll get a flawless product uh, 2022-23 for Australia, 24-25 for the UK. Unless those deals can be unwound, then uh, we're talking the next five years. You think the, it's going to be a really refined product, which will be second to none uh, globally, hopefully not just in terms of motorsport but as far as a clinical product for access to one of the the world's i guess most um exclusive sports going around yeah and we'll probably talk more about this during the season as there's progress being made and everything so really looking forward to seeing where this product develops and all that so um great step there from liberty to introduce that of course um and we heard too that uh i just forgot what i was going to say it's already happened uh, you know we start a podcast and i forget but yeah it was to do with the streaming not a, all right but let's move it on quickly then liberty media another controversial move that they made over the off season was the dumping of the grid girls now this was 
very, very contentious considering the demographic um, of people that watch a lot of motorsport and I guess people will argue from a traditionalist perspective that it's the wrong move and everything but when you look at what they've done it in favour of is that they're going to have um, grid kids which is a little incentive that um, young and upcoming racing drivers in each individual country that we go to um, as a sport will select 20 kids to represent the drivers on the grid um, as a way of winning a contest or something so I guess making it more family orientated and everything so nice replacement there so we're not going to have uh, what Sebastian Vettel labeled as Sam or Dave or whatever that he got in Monaco and he wasn't happy looking at a at a dressed up guy but um, yeah the kids a good thing but just quickly on the grid girls um, we did have a lot of people you know a lot of models come out and say that you know this is their livelihood they choose to do this um, and in an F1, in the F1 world, when you look at grid girls, they're not as sexualized as other sports are. I take a look at the monster energy girls that they have in MotoGP and other Moto two-wheel related sports. They're a lot more, I guess, uh, scantily clad. If it leaves little yeah. to the imagination in contrast to F1. Whereas F1 is a bit more respectable. So, you know, when you look at F1 grid girls, you don't really immediately think that you just think that they represent you know the sport they're there representing the drivers uh so but still i'm not against the fact that they decided to take that step to get rid of them um and in favor of grid kids especially i think that's a great incentive to get more fans involved in the sport which liberty seemed to be all about this season getting more fans involved it's a good compromise obviously there's always going to be a, a faction which isn't pleased and for sure for those ones who maybe use it as a springboard to their career in the, the modelling industry, then they've got to look for alternative uh, streams, but I'm sure that they will still be uh, looked after based on at least the ones in the past. They're clearly going to go on to bigger and better things. And for the, the kids, it gets another generation through and who knows what their own future in the sport might be, whether it's... a uh, on that um, fashion modelling side or it gets them into a genuine interest in the sport in their own right. Yeah, exactly. Young up-and-coming racing drivers, hopefully. Um, whilst we're on that topic, uh, we had Carmen Jorda creating headlines again, um, having tested a Formula E car a couple of weeks ago. She came out and said that Formula E is a much more easy category to drive than F1 and women should be targeting that as their future rather than F1 um, and a lot of people pretty much everyone had an opinion about this blasting her saying that you know that's absolutely outrageous um, we had female drivers such as Simona Di Silvestro come out and say that you know she, especially her, that's probably the best example. She's driven in multiple categories, driven F1 cars, Indy cars, Formula E cars, and now currently the V8 supercars, which is one of the most grueling categories on the planet. Um, and she seems to be doing all right. So, you know, why someone like Jorda, who the FIA have appointed as, you know, a ambassador for women in motorsport, is coming out and saying that, you know, they should be lowering their expectations as far as where they can go as far in a career. It's just 
pathetic. Well, clearly Carmen Jorda is the best talent from F1 females of all time. So what she's saying is that if she can't make it, nobody can. So she's got a pretty high opinion of herself in that case. Pretty much. And <laughs> this is someone with a CV as uh, glamorous as Esteban Gutierrez, for example, though I think Gutierrez... Even that's being generous. I think Gutierrez would be ashamed to have that <laughs> comparison. Oh, true, because he actually drove an F1 car in a Grand Prix, whereas Jorda hasn't even tested one at a Grand Prix weekend or whatever. So And her a junior formula record is, you know, it's abysmal. You know, uh, she's don't, making I don't up think the she's, numbers essentially well, wherever essentially, she goes. Well, you know, she never made it to GP two or F two. I think she was there in F uh, GP three um, and really never made an impact there. So you know how someone like that can make those sort of remarks and whatnot, and not think about the. Um, the fierce competitors that have come before her. We look at Susie Wolf, for example, who uh, was Williams' reserve driver, test driver at one point. Uh, Simona, as we said before, and then look at the US. You know, drivers like uh, um, Danica Patrick, Pippa Mann as well, Catherine Legg, who's from the UK and does a lot of GT racing and has raced in Formula E before as well. You know, the list can go on and on. And you know, look here in Australia, Molly Taylor, who is Australian Rally Champion, a um, couple of years back as well. So, you know, someone like Jordan just probably needs to do her research a little bit better before making those comments or the FIA really need to reconsider her position as being an, uh, that ambassador because an ambassador needs is someone that you need to look up to and the way that Jordan's going on is that you know you wouldn't want to look up to her if you're going to fill people with that, those sort of expectations. Yeah, they'll be pulling her head into line pretty swiftly and if not, then they'll be looking for someone like a Simona de Silvestro and who knows, perhaps reigniting any kind of cause for her or someone of that ilk who's genuinely going to give it a crack and not, um, I guess, bail at the first sign of, of trouble and spout some sort of uh, egotistical rhetoric like we've seen now on repeated occasions from Carmen Jordan. Exactly. It's not the first time that... <clears throat> We've heard controversy come from her. So, last point that we wanted to make before we go into preseason testing, and um, this was uh, it, following the move of uh, that Charles Budkowski from the FIA to Renault at, at the end of last year. Um, FIA Deputy Race Director Laurent Mekis is set to join Ferrari later this year as well. And what has caused us uh, about this appointment is the fact that after Budkowski left the FIA to go join Renault, there was a gentleman's agreement between all the teams that they would not go after any other FIA representatives because you go from being gamekeeper to, you know, well, oh, sorry, what's the word poacher. phrase? From poacher to being the gamekeeper. So going from being one of the rule makers to actually a team. And of course, that has a lot of exploits involved in there as well because obviously being an FIA delegate, you have access to pretty much privileges, privileges and information and everything. So it does make these guys really sought after, but what it's left the FIA in is a bit of a hole because uh, Mekis pretty much replaced Herbie Blash, who retired at the end of 2016. So this guy's only been in this position for not even a year, and already his he's going to be going on gardening leave now up until his appointment in September to Ferrari, where he's going to be answering to Matteo Benotto in the technical department. So what do the FIA do as far FIA do as far as getting a deputy race director? They need one this weekend, so you know let's all put our hands up and. Oh, I think maybe like Bernie Eccleston or Ron Dennis have been out of a job for a while, so they'd be quite willing to step into the breach. Oh, yeah, I thought Bernie was happy to where he was, and Ron, you know, who knows where Ron is. 
Oh, Ron can always be found. Where there's a Ron, Ron there's would, a way. Ron would be, uh, I guess, using a bell to signal the start of a race or something. Something very antiquated. Like oh, that. and more formal and corporate. Gentlemen, start your engines. So that's about it for the winter, uh, for our winter news. We'll move it on. Pre-season testing and... Of course, only eight days of testing, if you even want to call it eight days of testing, because snow wiped out the snow and wet weather wiped out the first test pretty much, so we didn't really get a good reading from that test. But, you know, the final four days in Barcelona, everyone went all out. Ferrari, of course, the quickest. Mercedes went the furthest, as it was last year, the scenario. Mercedes, so good that they didn't even have to touch uh, the new Hypersoft tyres. They did a few laps on Ultrasofts, but all their fast laps came from those medium tyres that that's where they were doing the majority of their testing. Ferrari, of course, getting in those fast laps on those hypersoft tyres. And um, I guess one of the big talking points to come out of testing was the smoke that we saw from the Ferrari PUs, uh, from both Ferrari and also their customer team, Sauber and Haas as well. And that was explained to be as a result of the oil burning ban, the fact that you know they're not doing that anymore, which the FIA banned at the end of last year. Um that caused that the the smoke to come out of their engine. So nothing sinister. It's just the fact that you know it's a lot more messier for them. And people talking up the side that it's not a great look for the green cause as much as it's harmless. That the idea of seeing some noxious gas going off it must be a really bad sign that F1's getting back into its uh, roots. Oh yeah, being uh, you know those anti-environmental uh, trains that burn coal and emissions and this and that let's no, nothing to let's it. let's replace the hybrid v6s with uh, diesel engines <laughs> and you know like steam trains volkswagen basically. sends its regards oh yeah then we that's one way of getting porsche and volkswagen involved <laughs> into formula one oops that's not a nice thing to say <laughs> anyway uh so the next big point was mclaren of course they're re or not reunion but a union with renault um hampered by reliability uh, let's not really say much more because it's the same rhetoric as last year. Just little finger issues, it seems, that they had uh, problems with oil leaks, uh, you know, just reliability of trying to marry the Renault power unit with their chassis. Um, it hampered the debut a little bit, but they still, when they were able to run, they had good pace, which was encouraging to see. Not, you know, of Mercedes and Ferrari style, but, you know, they were able to get some solid lap times out, um, it's just about reliability, the big question. I still think they're 12 months away from being legitimately racing race out at, at a level where they're happy and they're going to be viable to sponsors, I guess, has been the big uh, shortfall. I've seen even on that gorgeous livery that uh, it is quite bereft of the commercial tie-up. So you'd think that this year it's just going to be finding their feet with Renault and we'll see probably the next six months or so Red Bull phasing out and they'll become alongside to Arosa, I guess, the factory Honda outfit and McLaren will have had that time to develop a relationship with with Renault and have the car fully integrated to it. So I think this year, just a little bit more patience. It's not going to be the Malay of 2015 and 2017. Well, that's what you'd we, hope. We, you'd can't, hope. We, we can't be going to Melbourne and saying they're going to be third or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, as long as they're getting the results this year, that's probably the main thing, you know, and it's hard to make a prediction at this stage of what they they will do but we'll look at more of that come the Australia preview soon uh, but speaking of Red Bull they enjoy their best preseason you could say t- since the start of the hybrid era so this all started when they launched their car they decided to launch it early um, 
do it in the launch, do the testing spec as well. They came to Barcelona. They didn't have any issues um, apart from a couple of issues when Max Verstappen was in the car. But, you know, they were able to be quick. Um, they even got the heads of Ferrari and Mercedes turning as well, saying that, oh, they could potentially be in the mix come Melbourne as well. So, you know, this is, I guess, something, if this translates into form at the start of the year, I guess this is what Red Bull have needed since the start of the hybrid era, is that the fact they've not hit the ground running come Melbourne, they've always had reliability problems or lack of pace. So if come Melbourne in a couple of days' time, will they be on the ball straight away? And this could what this could be what they need to be able to mount a championship challenge as well, which they haven't been able to do. Yeah, it doesn't take long, even those flyaways, just having that momentum. They don't have to win them all, but just just the momentum purely, their consistency, uh, podiums, and um, not getting bogged down. I guess reliability last year really did hurt them in the first half, and then Ricardo in the second half had his own share of issues, and Red Bull probably got it act together in the the final third of the season ironically in terms of pace when when they were able to yeah you had verstappen win two races in that time so malaysia and mexico i think red bull if they can sustain that kind of performance from the outset then they'll be very much in the hunt exactly and on the driver front they're pretty solid there with both verstappen and ricardo and ricardo of course chasing a new contract as well for next year but more on that i guess as the season unfolds um whilst most of the attention during preseason was on mclaren and their reliability or un or lack thereof um honda was quietly making progress with toro rosso over the off season and they accumulated a lot of laps the most laps that honda have done um since coming back to the sport in 2015 they ended up doing more laps than mclaren did ironically as well and they didn't really suffer a lot of reliability problems if any at all so whilst their pace wasn't that impressive you could say um they were able to marry the chassis with the engine pretty well ended up doing a lot of laps, iron out those uh, little niggles, and, you know, Toroso could be a smoky this year for some good results. Yeah, I don't think you want to get too carried away. Again, it's, it's only testing, and certainly from McLaren's point of view, they probably um, flattered almost where Honda was at compared to last year, but it's a good sign of a step up for the Japanese manufacturer, and the, both parties there have spoken of their content at um the relationship they both seem not to be putting the the asset on the other to deliver results immediately and they've both made a a good job to integrate with each other in a cordial fashion and it just seems like um compared to with mclaren honda that there are issues from day one and it just fested into that toxic relationship which (laughs) which you can't even speak of really anymore 2017 it's probably been purged from the minds of all those supporters oh well you know we were watching grand prix driver weren't we recently that little mini series that they put on on amazon just to highlight i guess the uh, extent to those issues that they had in preseason last year but yeah as far as uh, Toro Rosso and Honda are concerned we sort of predicted that this would could be the case the fact that you know with less scrutiny um, they might be able to work a little bit better together with Toro Rosso and the fact that um, Toro Rosso have come out and said that you know Honda are much more flexible and open as a engine manufacturer um has helped them and it's allowed for that i guess uh cohesion between the two parties so we'll wait and see what happens anyway at the first race and um both drivers pierre gasly and 
Brendan Hartley yet to score points in F1 despite doing those races at the end of last year where we had the Renault unreliability. I think it was for both, or all three parties essentially, or for McLaren, Renault, and then really Toro Rosso, Honda. You want to see them all doing well. So if it if it comes to pass, they're all in the points on the weekend, then it's a great outcome. Exactly. So uh, going back to Renault, the factory team, they've made some inroads over the, or not some inroads, plenty of inroads over the off-season. Could be chasing fourth in the Constructors' Championship this year, we hope. Um, they Their pace was good, you know, nothing breathtaking. Um, and also they were reliable on their own. So, yeah, you know, they've got an innovative car there. I mean, we were... Looking a lot at the um, the new uh, diffuser that they've got on their car, the blown diffuser. They've gone back to that old idea of the blown diffuser or whatever, even though the way that they changed the diffuser for the hybrid era, having that single exhaust was supposed to outlaw that. But what they've done is they've heat-proofed their rear wing and have their rear diffuser on an angle facing up. So any exhaust gases from there can be used on that heat-proofed rear wing to generate more downforce. So, you know, it'll be a surprising thing to look at over the season is how, you know, that gives them an advantage if it does and if teams decide to copy them or thwart them. No, they'll protest the moment Renault looks like they might win a race, as they all do. It's too complicated to invest um, time, much less money into it, so they'll just go straight to the FIA and oh, have yeah, a ban so in the ban next moment. It, yeah, even though it's probably a genius thing, not that, you know, there's nothing in the rule book that doesn't say that they oh, can exploit that, no, no. exploit that avenue, but the fact that, yeah, you know, they've gone and done the research to do that, and then someone comes and thwarts them, it'll be like, oh, well. So, yeah, you know, good on Renault for doing that. We look forward to see what they do. Um, Haas enjoyed a good preseason as well, and I guess some of the big teams like Mercedes have tipped them to be a surprise package in 2018, so last year it was a bit inconsistent for them. They scored more points than they did in their first year, 2016, but... Well, they had two drivers last year. Touche, yes, they did. <laughs> Kevin Magnussen and Roman Grosjean. First but season, they only had the single driver. They did, yeah, with just Grosjean on his own, having to do the work, <laughs> but yeah, you know, what can we expect from Haas this year? We would be hoping that they'd be in the midst of that midfield, being able to score more points at the sharper end of the midfield. Um, whether, you know, their relationship with Ferrari, is that going to yield a closer results? I think um, between, you consider Haas there, they did previously have the, I guess you could say, factory support from Ferrari and now Sauber's strengthened that after that little near miss you could say with Honda it looked like they were going to have a tie up but then Frederick Vasseur did come on board with them and the Alpha tie up now so they're looking quite strong as well but I don't think Saub is going to be at a level regardless to challenge Haas and yeah, Haas not looks this like year, they, yeah. they could be at a level Haas where if if as the drivers and um, managers do say they're, they're on their game then maybe they could be someone to be in that mix for P4 and the constructors and as well it's a, there's a bit of a, a hard one to shine light on is Force India and its own future off tracks up in the air and despite their past two seasons being 
fourth in the constructors. I guess it'd be remiss to rule them out of that, but uh, but it looks like everyone else has slipped a little bit through preseason. Yeah, well, it looks like everyone else has decided to finally catch up. So the likes of Renault, McLaren, Toro Rosso with their Honda backing, and even Haas could potentially be in there. So fourth, Cindia, who've been modest, I guess, for the past couple of years with their modest budget. You know they. Tides, I guess, probably turning on them now. So let's go straight into our Australian Grand Prix preview as well. And we'll talk about Force India um, a bit later on. But yeah, the new era officially commences. The fan favourite Australian Grand Prix. Boy, we love it when, you know, you walk around your own neighbourhood in your own city and you see all those advertisements. And, you know, today I saw... um, one of the V8 supercars in the middle of the city or whatever, Cam Waters' Ford Falcon sitting there. So that was pretty cool. And yeah, you know, come Thursday, you could probably hear the two-seater V10 from here as well every morning. So yeah, it's just an awesome feeling. And I guess the big point to raise as well is that this will be the first full race to be contested with the Halo on board. We haven't really talked about it much because... Uh, it really hasn't had much impact over the preseason. It's just, you know, we had all that hype about it, the fact that it looks ugly, etc., etc. But, you know, now it's been put on. We haven't really taken much notice of it. So I guess the first race will be the test to see what will happen. Um, I'm sure there'll be people complaining from the grandstands or watching on TV who will say that they can't pick out who the driver is. But more importantly, because we're talking uh, function more than fashion, is that will it be put to the test um, in a racing situation? Are we going to have an accident where, you know, the halo will be tested? Um, Extraction, that'll be a key point as well. How quickly can a driver get out of the car? I mean, they would have done all these tests in the preseason, which would have been mandatory for the FIA to tick the boxes. But in a real-life scenario, how's it going to play out? Haters going to hate, and they'll be looking for any excuse after the first race to say, oh, there was no crash where a driver was trapped or the, the halo saved them from some debris coming in, so it's redundant immediately. And uh, regardless of that, it's one of those things, like all uh, all novelties in the past, whatever the stigma might be, uh, over time, uh, I guess not everything, like we had that ill-fated qualifying, which no one remembers, but some things do stay when they're initially polarising and absolutely loathed, and a lot of other ones, they, they come through and they're accepted after a time. So this is one of those, I guess, hallmark um, transformations for the sport that um, people will adapt to it over time, and I'm sure after four or five races, it'll be be as if nothing was ever changed in the well, first instance. The fact that you know now all the junior ca- formulas have also adapted it, so we'll see F2 with it. The some of the F3 categories as well around the world will have them on board as well, and Formula E's uh, Gen 2 car, which is unveiled. Um, not too long ago as well, striking looking thing as well, that's been included with a halo as well, so it looks like the FIA is trying to, you know, use that as a convergence for all of its categories that they all use the same safety device, but anyway, we'll move on from the halo, but uh, yeah, weather-wise, wet weather tipped for Friday onwards, so when practice starts, and well, now I'm not I, think, really... I think they've revised it now to Saturday, so you should get at least some dry oh, running. Thank goodness, but... thank goodness for that, I don't want to be sitting in my rain jacket all week <laughs> Uh, whenever you go outdoors but um, yeah you know wet weather I mean it's not uncommon that we get it here in Australia but on during the Grand Prix but you'd want the first race to be uh, in the dry sunshine and you know everyone 
putting the foot to the floor and getting the maximum out of there. And I guess one point to bring up, if we do have a wet race on Sunday and if there's any red flags, it'll be the first time we get to see standing restarts after red flags as well. And we saw the drivers practicing this during the preseason in Barcelona. And um, yeah, some drivers like Roman Grosjean coming out and saying that it will cause trouble, no doubt. The fact that they have to start restart the race on the grid um, rather than a rolling restart. Um, it's going to make drivers a little bit more edgy and they're going to be looking at uh, gamesmanship and it's going to just, chaos will breed chaos essentially. Oh, it could be another one of those things like the, the um, what do you call it, elimination qualifying where you find that it's given one run and that's phased out. Well, who knows? It could be one of those things that they just revert immediately. But yeah, you know, that's only if we do have a red flag situation, which, you know, is not very... It's not uncommon in Australia because we've had it um, a couple of years ago with Fernando Alonso's big crash that was brought out a red flag, of course, in 2016. So, you know, um, it does happen indeed. But um, if the conditions are dry, lap records could tumble. Um, We'll have the ultra soft tyres on hand um, for this weekend. Um, Obviously, the tyres are a lot different to last year. They're much softer. Um, They're wanting to have more pit stops, of course, to Pirelli to mix up the races, get some more strategy involved. So we could see lap records being smashed at every circuit. I think, uh, yeah, the cars, honestly, uh, based on Ferrari at uh, Barcelona, an indication when they are going at full tilt that over the whole hybrid era, just in terms of um, year on year, it's going to be the biggest jump over an off-season to what we get across the course of 2018. Who knows if that means we'll be getting cars at Melbourne this weekend troubling maybe a 120. I think 122.1 was the record from... Hamilton in 2017, so based on that leap Ferrari did show on the um, the Hypersoft, wasn't it, at Barcelona, then it's possible they could be gaining a second on the previous record. They could be, yeah, and they're saying too that the cars will be able to overtake a lot more as well this year as well, so that'll be great to see because last year I guess one of the big complaints was the fact that there was not a lot of overtaking even though you had to sort of earn it a bit more than... Um, you did previously so yeah organizers well predicting that we could have the biggest ever crowd at albert park just off the ticket sales that they've had too so that'll be great too for the australian grand prix event already um run into a few people in town who've come from out of town from overseas i mean um i've heard that they've got cheap airfares at the moment from the uk to come to australia so i guess that's incentive enough to come and watch lewis hamilton of course the only brit on the grid this year as well for Formula One, but also the reigning world champion. Yeah, I think uh, just the whole fever and the hype and Liberty's put a best foot forward, you could say, to promote not just here, but every race. It'll be turned into that notional 21 Super Bowls, however many races comprise the calendar there. But we're going to see that real uh, pendulum effect and uh, there'll be a real momentum across the the season and get more fans in get those who maybe were wavering back on board and um i think uh yes once in every few years you get that sense of renewal and this could be the start of i guess where formula one after a few years of maybe wavering just not uh, quite sure of what it wants to be that maybe this can be the year where it really defines its its next era um afresh with new owners I guess the the halo introduces a new 
era of Formula One from its completely open in the past. So uh, I think there's a lot of promise for the future. Yeah, definitely. And of course, the 21 Super Bowl idea as well, and 21 races will be contesting this season too. So let's look at some of the stats there. And uh, uh, we've got three multiple winners on the grid for this year. Hamilton, Vettel and Kimi Raikkonen on two wins apiece there in Australia. Sebastian, of course, won the race last year. Alonso, the only other winner of the event on the grid. He won just once. But, um, you know, what are the chances this weekend? You said probably not very likely, but maybe in the wet, if it's a wet race on Sunday, could we see a little sneaky win from Fernando there? And McLaren, of course, coming out um, this week saying that they have fixed those reliability problems from Barcelona. So that'll be interesting to see whether their car breaks down on the first lap or not during free practice. Uh, Red Bull drivers, both of them at the moment, have not been on the podium in Australia. Officially, that is, of course, because Daniel Ricciardo did get to stand on there in 2014, but was had that stripped, of course, because of that fuel infringement that they had um, that the FIA decided to disqualify them for. So they could be in with a chance this time to stand on the podium, if not even go for the win this race. And imagine that, you know, Ricciardo winning his home Grand Prix, a feat that no Aussie driver's done well, even getting on the podium would be a good start point, I guess. Mark Webber nearly had much luck, never really did have much fortune. And well, Ricardo, the one time he gets on the podium, it is disqualified. So it would be a good start, even if it was just a second or a third. And just to get that confidence too for the rest of the year, get a good result to start off with. Yeah, absolutely. Just um, maybe from the flyaways, if they just won one of those races, that's a huge improvement on where they've been any time since 2014. Exactly. So if they can win early, that's the key for Red Bull season. We were talking about Force India before, of course, as well, and they're saying that they're going to bring major updates to boost them for um, Melbourne too from where they were in the preseason. But again, you know, we're just saying that they're going to have to do a lot this season to fight off the guys like Renault, McLaren, Haas, Toro Rosso, and with their little budget that they have, you know, it's going to be a tough task. But, you know, they've got two gritty drivers in Ocon and uh, Sergio Perez who said that they're free to race uh, this year. So, you know, we'll see what that breeds. And they're both really fighting respectively for maybe in Ocon's case there. Uh, there's an opening always talked about at, at Mercedes is on their books as a up-and-coming talent and for Sergio Perez as well he's been in a bit of a holding pattern the past three or four seasons and he'll be really seeing this if last year wasn't then 2018 is a bit of a, a crossroads whether he can get back into that top echelon or he's stuck as uh, one of those midfield runners for the, the balance of his career. Yeah exactly so uh, big year for a lot of drivers of course with a lot of big names off contract at the end of the year and of course, just while we're on that topic, Lewis Hamilton coming out and saying that um, he's already started discussions with Mercedes and the fact that there's talk that this could be his final ever contract, you know, whether he signs a two-year deal and that could be it, you know, and after that he's expected to hang up the helmet or two, three-year deal, we'll wait and see. Yeah, that, and then you'll go and run with Kanye for presidency 2021, as we keep discussing. Oh, he could do that, he could continue doing his work for Tommy Hilfiger or whatever so well he's the one who brokered that deal he likes to say to everyone so maybe well he is the he, he is the face now I guess of Tommy Hilfiger meds fashion or something that someone came out to me and said so yeah you know De- he's doing debuting that uh 
I wouldn't call it ghastly. I'd just say retro, uh, nostalgic, uh, Leighton house livery attire that he, he had. Uh, oh, the yeah. The green and... Uh, the low lotus Yellow livery. and red. and Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, certainly it was a bit of a blast from the past. Uh, well, you know, it's better than Benetton, I say, anyway. <laughs> oh, Benetton back in the day. That were the every time I fashion see, icons. Yeah, you know, every time I see Benetton come through the shop now, it's just, I th- all I think of is Flavio oh. Briatore. Not in <laughs> He's a... tarnished in, in, in a, Yeah, just in that really bad way, you know. It's just, uh, you know, Flavio, where can you start with him? Anyway, um, the midfield, unpredictable as always, but... This year, really, really unpredictable, as we just said before, you know, Renault, Toro Rosso, Haas, McLaren, you know, where where do you pick them? How's that all going to pan out? So, you know, I guess probably coming into this first race, you know, whoever, who, the person who's probably the team that's probably best picked or best positioned is Renault. So, you know, they could hit the ground running, but, you know, a lot of people holding the cards close to the chest in the preseason, so where's... How's it all going to play out? We'll just have to wait and see. And again, Melbourne's always such an outlier, so it'd be hard to come away after Sunday and say uh, that's set in stone. We could see, uh, again, who knows, a Tour or a Rosso or a Sauber or a Force India, whoever, in the top five there. But I think really it's not till we get back to Europe again that it's going to have the established order. Yeah, exactly. But the important is there to hit the ground running. And talking about Sauber as well, you know, I predicting that Williams and Sauber are probably going to bring up the rear end supposedly but you know it could all be marginal the fact that they're all so competitive with each other that it's just you know a point here or there is going to sorry a point here or there is what's going to decide who uh, finishes at the bottom of the table so we hope that it's actually that way that the fact that all all those teams are fighting theoretically in the midfield yeah, instead of the point here or there through circumstance, it'd be good if each any given weekend there's a, a different team making up those last uh, ninth or tenth positions and just get a real, real spread and it's just good for the competition at large. Exactly. So that's, I guess, our F1 preview. Let's wrap things up today with our supercars preview as well because... Boy, oh boy, this is really exciting. The undercard to F1 this year... Um, in Melbourne, is the Supercars Championship. And yes, it is championship because it's a championship round. We had that confirmation last year, which we really celebrated. So let's quickly go over the format for you as well. So we're going to have four races as always, but as well as um, two sprint races at 12 laps each, we're going to have two 25-lap endurance races i guess you could call them in a way they're long distance races with mandatory pit stops involved as well so we finally see a bit of strategy involved a lot more on the cards rather than just 12 lap sprints where you know glorified test sessions pretty much the way that it used to be yeah glorified test sessions so with points on the line you know do we see more teams going more harder at it not that they didn't anyway but you know, Albert Park has always been a good uh, testing ground for these cars. The fact that it's more aero-sensitive, um, where we've just come from. Adelaide, a lot of high-speed corners here in Melbourne, whereas Adelaide was a lot of uh, low-down force or whatever, um, stop-start type corners. So really, it's going to be a true test of these cars and the teams as well. You know, we saw domination in Adelaide from Shane Van Gisbergen in the new ZB Commodore, but can the Ford guys bounce back and the 
Falcon FGX has traditionally fared well here at Albert Park, dominated in 15, 2015 and again in 2017 with DGR Team Penske. Oh, the incentives there, doubly so. On this occasion, um, not just for momentum there, but now the points are on the line that they'll really want to strike back hard and um, all those teams that do run really conservatively, they'll be having to invest what they can into getting themselves, whether it's just top five or top ten, all these points, are they're really almost um, two or three times as crucial as you see in Formula One, even when you might have an off race or an off weekend, just hanging in there, and um, it's a percentage game. Yeah, it's so unpredictable with the supercars that, you know, millimeters decide the results and you know we've seen so many surprise results over the years and you know we saw a couple of years ago nissan was really strong here at albert park and michael caruso actually won a race so you know could we see something like that again this weekend but going back to what you're saying about investing and whatnot um it looks like ford and nissan have invested in getting some new panels ready of course as well composites uh in light of Waitgate, which (laughs) happened after adelaide the fact that you know Ford team, the Ford teams were unhappy with the fact that uh, the Holden ZB Commodore was using more composite parts rather than the steel uh, parts that were homologated into the car. And I guess a quick explanation about that is the fact that the new ZB Commodore road car share has a lot of elements that to be homologated into a race car, you require more composite bits, whereas the Falcon FGX and the Nissan Altima, you could easily just stick a couple of composite parts on there and it has and it stays similar to the road car. So a lot more work has had to be done to the ZB to make it homologated for supercars. Um, and that's what's caused the disparity it's a, there. It's a bit of a misnomer in this transitional period, though. Like, surely when the next... Uh Ford iteration, whether it's a Mustang or GT, whatever it ends up being, and that's got the same deal with composites. It's just the timing that no, they've the thing elected is, to delay it, so you can't really, with one hand tied behind your back, well, say the thing that is, it's unfair, it's fair. Well, the thing is, if, if you allow me to get into this little discussion... I don't think it's ever going to be the same as what it was because... Oh, no way. There's no going back. No, 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 no. Not in that sense. Hear me out. The fact that now that you've gone for two different type of car altogether, now the Commodore and the Falcon were so similar in every way. That's why it was so equal. So they didn't really have to... When they did the homologation, it was only... It was exactly the same parts that they would be changing. It's almost like that they were built on the same production line. Whereas now you've got a European-built... a sedan car which you know has instead of a proper boot it's got a hatchback um racing an old school sedan car with a boot and then of course the roof of the commodore now is carbon fiber composite whereas the roof on the falcon is still steel and that's what's caused the disparity so the fact that we're dealing with different body types now which of course, is in the regulations because that's what Gen 2 is all about in supercars. Gen 2, the one that's barely even yeah, come well, off the ground. Let's talk about <laughs> it now because this is the Gen 2 car, the ZB Commodore. So the fact that, you know, we're dealing with two different cars now, expect a bit of disparity. So, yeah, the fact that, you know, the supercars category have allowed Ford and Nissan to re-homologate, not re-homologate, but go and invest in lighter panels and get them onto their car we should see a bit of um, equal footing here in Albert Park and I guess no excuse for Ford now the fact that they blame that for their downfall in Adelaide uh, we should see them back up there if that is of course the only issue 
Yeah, it just goes to show um, after uh, testing when Triple Eight were maybe just having a bit of, um, I wouldn't say sandbagging as such, but it looked like they weren't quite on the pace. They've they've come out really and just wiped the floor, or certainly Van Gisbergen did. Uh, Winkup had a bit of an off weekend, and Craig Lowndes probably again finding his feet a bit of an inauspicious 2017 there, but Triple Eight certainly looking like they're, they're ready to go, and for four, there'll be no excuses if, um, again, Triple Eight, even with uh, composite parts attached this weekend, uh, found wanting, so the pressure's on there, and for Triple Eight, just the, the juggernaut rolls on, and it just shows you if they're, again, uh, under a another car i guess and the next few years it's always going to be a, a bit hard to really get the true picture until they're all operating to the next gen and the next model um but they just roll on the juggernaut that tri- is triple eight they're just uh, unstoppable a bit like mercedes in Formula <laughs> one yeah and change of rules doesn't really stop them doesn't it it just shows the class of the team but anyway albert park is going to be a real test for those holding teams of course the high downforce layout which has Suited Ford in the past, um, will the ZB succeed there? And I guess teams with a bit of scrutiny will be teams like Walkinshaw, who again showed um, strength there in Adelaide. But you know, this weekend where they've got their big bosses, or their new big bosses on hand with Michael Andretti again and Zach Brown being in town with McLaren, um, can they translate those results over to other circuits? And it'll all start here this weekend at Albert Park. Yeah, I think the. For them, it's it's always going to be the long game, probably two to three years before they're going to be back at championship contention. But just finding some consistency would be the, the number one concern at this point. And uh, probably not victories, but, you know, top fives, top tens, where they've really not been anywhere near for the past probably five years have just been so... Uh, erratic and pinching the odd victories normally at Adelaide or they come good for the Enduros but other, otherwise they're really just um, making up the, the numbers so I'll just be looking just to just to be solid and being around looking to capitalise on those opportunities. Exactly so yeah big weekend really Lorims I guess for all of those guys and that's not to mention the fact they've got Porsche Carrera Cup Australian GT and just so much happening on track and off track that yeah it's just I don't know, it's gonna, we're going to blink and it's already going to be gone and next week we'll be back here <laughs> wrapping it all up for you and looking ahead to the rest of the year, of course, in Formula 1. So yeah, 21 races coming up for Formula 1, whole season of supercars, we'll talk some MotoGP too as well, congratulations Davizioso for winning the first race of the year, classic between he and Marquez again at the end as they showed last year. So yeah, really looking forward to covering another year of motorsport and um, getting some more content out to you guys. So yeah, thanks for getting on board. Remember to like us on uh, Facebook, subscribe on YouTube and Twitter and all that. So yeah, look forward to having you guys on board again for another year and uh, we'll catch you on the other side of the Australian Grand Prix. Yeah, good to be back.